You are now entering the spoiler zone. The following podcast contains explicit plot details and pockets of profanity. You have been warned. The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in wine and space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. And I'm Simon Exton. And tonight's edition is going to focus on children's television. And specifically the five minute little snippety children's TV programmes that used to happen weekday afternoons just before the news started. So we're going to look at clangers and all of that good stuff from childhood. The seesaw programmes, they were called. Yeah, and I found one or two slightly unusual ones. Before we do, I'm going to launch straight into the gin review. You've got something a little bit different tonight. I have. My lovely sister for Christmas has bought me some tasting gins, so we're going to taste one of these. And what we've got is the Trevethan Grapefruit and Lychee Gin. And it gives you a little write-up. And it says, It's a silky smooth gin that gives off a wonderful zesty aroma from the grapefruit. The citrus notes are beautifully balanced with the sweetness offered from the lychee. There is a mellow and creamy finish from the meadow sweet. And we're drinking this neat. We are, Um, although I'm going to be a horrific lightweight. Because having tasted it... It's too much for me as it stands, although I'm glad I tried it neat first because of the flavours. I'm just going to give it a go. Oh, that's really quite medicinal. Yes. I think this needs tonic. It does. It gets almost... It has. I was a bit dubious about this because I'm not the biggest fan of lychee. I I love grapefruit, but I'm not a huge fan of lychee. No, I'm the other way around. I like lychee, but I'm not a huge fan of grapefruit. Well, you're just weird. Obviously. We're sat here recording podcasts at midnight on a Saturday night. About the clangers. About the clangers. I think that tells the general public pretty much everything they need to know about the pair of us. No, I'm not a great fan. I think that even scratches the surface, frankly, (laughs) but that's several other conversations. We're tasting them. just... Wow. Um, We have now mixed the gin. We have mixed the gin. We've tried the gin. It's still a little medicinal for me. It is, but we can at least taste it now. Um... I could taste it before. It was the the gift was a lovely gesture. It sounded interesting. It's not really for me. For me, it's a two out of five. Mm, I, I'd probably give it two burners myself. I think isn't it's certainly not bad. It's just uh, it's not one I would revisit, and I would only give one burner for gins that I would never go back to again. I've said before, I'm negative burners. I, I would do negative burners. There's only one last bit of housekeeping to do for this podcast. And that is the Black Archive. Simon, over to you. What are you picking for this one? I think we should probably pick something kiddified. In that case, then, I know what I'm going for. Okay. Mine is a series from the early 80s. There was only one series of it. It was called Chock-A-Block. And it, it starred, alternately, Fred Harris and Carol Leader with this big computer-type thing called Chock-A-Block. And they used to feed story blocks into it. And it was quite entertaining and had um, a theme tune that I can still hear in my head to this day. But I do know, even as late on as the early 90s, they were wiping episodes of it. There's only I think there's only eight of the 13 that survive 
and that's only through off-air recordings in, in a lot of cases. That was the biggest surprise to me, that they were, the BBC was still wiping stuff in the 90s. But as was pointed out to me, a friend of mine, he, he works in BBC archives, and he said that his attitude on archiving has changed massively since working there, because uh, some things just don't have any commercial value whatsoever, and they're just taking up valuable and quite expensive storage space. But I'd still have them back. I don't like gaps. What so are you going for? You're going for chock-a-block. I'm going to go for Ace of Wands. Which I have heard of, but I don't know anything about. Right. It was a kids' TV programme from the early 70s. It ran for three years, and when it finished, its production team did The Tomorrow People. Although there's no in-story connection between the two. It was... Similar style? It, yeah, kind of. It was the, the preceding story, and... The lead character, somebody called Taro, who's a stage magician, always had and had two assistants, one of whom was his magician's assistant, and another young fellow to do all the fighting. And for the first two years, it was Judy Lowe, uh, was the um, stage assistant, the wife of Richard Beckinsale, mm-hmm. and Tony Selby was the, the muscle character. None of the episodes from those two seasons survive and are supposed to be the, the best of the, the show. Mm. The third series, they brought in Petra Markham as a replacement stage assistant that Taro had a kind of telepathic link with, and also her brother, I can't remember who he's played by. All of the episodes from the third season exist, and they're really quite fun. Mm. Um, there's one called Peacock Pie, where um, Brian Wilde plays a, a bloke who can just make other people see and believe whatever he wants them to. <laughs> mm. um, Could be abused. Yeah, and in the end, and, and he does, and he robs banks and all sorts of things, and in the end, Tara just goes and talks to him and said, you, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this. And he says, oh, okay, and toddles off to live in the country. Terribly innocent times, terribly innocent. Yeah, we'll do some Ace of Wands at, at some point. Uh, but I would love to see some of the earlier episodes. So that's my Black Archive pick for this session. Now, I'm just ever so slightly too young for the clangers, and it wasn't one of those things that was repeated during the early 80s. You missed out on so many treats. The clangers are knitted puppets that live on the moon. That bit I already know. But do they have individual episode titles, or are they just... Oh, probably. But we'll know. I was just going to hit play. and oh, uh, We can go to select. We can and select. Them. Let's see, see what tickles you fancy. Tablecloth, Rock Collector, Glow Honey, The Teapot, The Cloud, The Egg, brackets two, Noise Machine, or The Seed. Somebody was completely off their tits when they did this, weren't they? So which do you fancy? The Teapot. <laughs> <laughs> I could have guessed. Right, okay, let's have a teapot. Crack on with some clangerage. Wrong VT. Is this Oliver Postgate? I think. It's only a, a small film's Oliver Postgate thing. I'm not sure whether it's him or Peter Furman who did the voiceover. It sounds like him. It sounds like the same guy that did Bagpuss. Again, I'm not sure whether it's him or Peter Furman who did Bagpuss. There's an urban legend that the clangers made those burbling oh. noises because they did actually have scripts and they all swore yeah. like troopers. And there is a clip online where it's demonstrable. Got it. So the clanger is out in his music boat with a magnet fishing for crap. This is insufferably cute. So, consequently, 
turns up with this thing and what the hell have you brought me? I have a, a knitted clanger at home, made for me by the lovely Lulu Hayes. One of our ardent Facebook fans. And it's one of a, a whole series of goth clangers. And I have the Robert Smith goth clanger. <laughs> Don't think it's a hat. With hair like the lead singer from The Cure. The only trouble with the clangers is... I don't ever remember actually sitting down to watch an episode. All I can think of whenever anyone mentions the clangers is the master in prison. Oh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> oh, yes. It's a bit big for a soup dragon. Oh, the soup dragon. I guess the soup dragon's the one that sounds like oh, it's gargling, isn't it? Do you not know think? Giant nipples? Yeah, look behind the soup dragon. Oh, yes. The stalagmites. What the hell was the soup dragon? That's the soup they dragon. They just fed him soup. No, the soup dragon makes soup and gives it to the clangers. I can't remember what the clangers do in return. There is something they do in return. I can't remember what it is. Maybe they offer him sexual favours. I don't know. Well, whatever he's going on about, he really means it. Yeah, it's a voice that really does say, if you love me, you'd swallow it. <laughs> I know that joke was always about Bill and Ben, but... Green soup. Swarfiga. Mmm... <laughs> Now it's Mother Clanger's turn. Nothing in it. No soup. Because all the other clangers are greedy pigs. He's blown into the spout and it's spurted goo all over them. He's going to do it again. Yeah. I do think that some of these program makers were taking advantage of a more innocent time. Or we just have filthy minds. To be fair, a very good late friend of mine, when we were at uni, we sat down and watched all 13 episodes of Bagpuss back to back. And we concluded at the end of that drunken night that Gabriel the Toad and Madeline were having it off. Much to the disgust of Professor Yaffle. Also that Bagpuss is a lazy bastard. He gets up off his cushion in episode one and never moves again. And the mice on the mouse organ are on speed. Oh, they are. Look out, Clangers. A musical teapot. Flying teapot. So, no, just a musical teapot, but a musical teapot that attracts other teapots. In a reasonably dangerous way. The gravity on the moon's a bit stronger than I've always thought. We have discovered a way of making crap fall out of the sky. Come and look. Bring your hat. This is just bonkers. What the hell have you done with all that soup, you greedy pig? This is prime for revoicing. Oh, no, no, not again. Mind out, you silly dragon. Go and hide beneath your nipple. Hide beneath your nipple. Now look what you've done. <laughs> and where's my soup? Yes, she's not coming out from there until they get rid of all those nasty, bangy things. There's a square eel. Music trees. Teapot helicopter. Teapot helicopter. There it goes. If the other teapots can fly, why can't that one without I'm building not. a helicopter around it? Or is that applying a little too much logic? Dear whichever clanger it was, Oliver Postcat, there we go, stop bringing home crap. Well, I rather enjoyed that. That was really sweet. Yeah. Even though I've never seen one before and it's not really from my childhood, it was a... I do think there's a lovely innocence about these things. Even though maybe behind the scenes at work is a lack of innocence. Or probably not. It's probably just our filthy, filthy minds. (laughs) 
I love the clangers. It's a part of my childhood, as I say. Lulu has made me the most lovely goth clanger, which sits above my desk. What have we got next on the menu? Next on the menu, we have Rhubarb and Custard, ah. a bonkers cartoon narrated by Richard Bryers about a green dog and a pink cat. A cartoon with a theme tune that's so mad. There was a rave version of this in the early 90s. And I think I'm going to inappropriately label it as one that the Prodigy did. Although I suspect I'm wrong on that. When Rhubarb Made a Spike. Rhubarb lived in a house with a very sunny garden. The animation in this looks like the animators were off the face. We'll be returning to this theme. There was a new series of this a few years ago that they did with Richard Bryars in very much the same vein. They're almost indistinguishable. Why? Because it's not like you'd want to watch a dozen of these back to back. It's about a dog wanting to be a bird. <laughs> what the? He's climbed inside a loaf of bread and he's crawling around. So the birds on springs. So all of this is because he wants a worm. That does seem to be the gist of it, yes. So there's a green dog. A purple cat that hasn't put in an appearance. Has strapped slinkies to his feet. And some planks to his arms. And a traffic cone to his face to pretend to be a bird. Birds with teeth. That was mental. That really was quite odd. And Custard didn't really have very much to do. Normally he's a bit more scheming than that. But that was bonkers. Is it any wonder that our generation had grown up a bit odd? 1974. Next. Right, I'm going to pick one. Okay. I'm going to put forward Thomas the Tank Engine. I think we'll have the one where Henry gets stuck in a tunnel. Right, now this is something from my childhood. It's uh, a series from the mid-80s. This was made in 1984. And I was absolutely gripped by this as a kid. This is um, an episode from the very first series called The Sad Story of Henry. The first few series were adapted very closely from the original books by Reverend W. Audrey. And they're almost word for word. There was only the first two series that were narrated by Ringo Starr, even though everybody seems to think that he did the whole lot. It was Michelangelo that took over after a couple of years, and he's done it for 20 years. He's only given up recently. Michelangelo says in Our Lucian from The Lava Birds. Yes. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. It's lovely stuff. I mean, in these days, it was all model work filmed at Shepperton. Now it's all CGI, and I've seen a few of the more modern ones, because my friend's little boy, when he was growing up, he used to watch them. They've lost a lot of their charm, but they're all done on film, and they're all beautifully made. Sodor is this island that's located between, really, sort of Lancashire and the Isle of Man, 
And it must be the busiest island on the entire planet because it starts off with five steam engines. Hmm. By series two, they've got about 15 steam engines and half a dozen diesels and electrics and buses and all sorts. They've got a China clay mine, a harbour, a mountain railway. So Thomas has just rammed into the back of him. Is this more filth? Depends on how your mind interprets it. Eventually, even the fat controller gave up. They took up the old rails and built a wall in front of him so that Henry couldn't get out of the tunnel anymore. Bit excessive. They just let his fire go out. So they're walling him up? Yes, basically. It's a little Edgar Allan Poe. It is. Long enough for grass to grow. As time went on, Edward and Gordon would often pass by. Edward would say, peep, peep, hello. And Gordon would say, poop, 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 serves you right. Can you tell I used to watch these on a loop when I was a kid? That's the end of it. Yeah. He has a bit of a strop, so they just wall him up Basically. and leave him. Yeah. Now, to be fair, this is a two-part story. In the next episode, Gordon, the big engine, bursts his safety valve. Conveniently right by the tunnel. And Henry's the only engine that can is big enough to pull the train. So they ask Henry if he's willing to do it. And he, he gets de-walled. Right, the next thing is one from my childhood. Which I've always remembered as being called The Herbs. But apparently it's called The Adventures of Parsley. Are we sure that there wasn't a series called The Herbs? I'm I thought sure there was a was. thing called The Herbs as well. Oh, yes, because the herbs, you had to say herbidaceous and it opened up the door, so. But it's still the same characters. A book so just appears. Parsley the Lion with a magic teleporting book. And that's Dill the Dog. Telegram. Fancy eating a telegram. Now, what are we going to do? He is a skinny lion. He also sounds a bit like Michael Gambon. She wanted to cut on this doesn't have any whiskers. See, I'm sure, and I'm probably I'm thinking of the herbs of this. They each used to have a little song that they sang. Again, each ever so slightly before my time. Right, according to Wikipedia, the herbs, there were 13 episodes in 1968. A spin-off series called The Adventures of Parsley was transmitted from April 1970. 32 episodes out of five minutes. And all we got to see was Parsley and Dill. That's a shame, because there were loads of others. Lord Basil and Lady Rose, but that's Lord Basil. Other characters from the Herbs made occasional appearances. The narration was provided by the actor Gordon Rowlings. Well, that was a little disappointing, because I was expecting other characters in there. Constable so. Knapweed, Mr Onion and the Chives. Tarragon the Dragon and Mint. Well, it must be Sage the Owl because it says Sage's birthday. Although it says Aunt Mint's barbecue party and she'd book it off by the time they got there. So. Bay Leaf. He's the gardener. And there's Lady Rosemary. But for now... It's Paddington Bear. And we may as well start with the first episode. Yeah. Actually, no, let's not. Because for comedy value, there's one that's set in. A laundrette. I don't know whether it's on this collection. The Talk about the laundrette.
this is your choice, so would you like to describe yeah, it? Yeah, it was uh, one from the mid-70s. A curious mix of stop-motion animation and uh, cardboard cutouts. Wasn't Paddington the only one that wasn't a cardboard cutout? I think so, yes. Narrated by Michael Horden. And again, he's got a lovely cutesy quality about it. So he's, he's already fouled it up. Huge washing machines to fit all that in. And is that just a giant pile of nappies? I think that's the bag that he brought. No, he didn't. No, he didn't bring it in a bag. I don't know. So, soap flakes. I can see this going horribly wrong. It's Paddington Bear. What could possibly go wrong? A tea, coffee and cocoa machine. Hmm. So, Paddington's from darkest Peru, isn't he? He was sent over by his Aunt Lucy. And keeps a marmalade sandwich in his hat for when he gets... Of course, he's got a new generation of fans now with the new films. Oh, they're supposed to be quite good. I've seen the um, first one. It's excellent. Peter Capaldi, Hugh Bonneville, Ben Whishaw plays Paddington. <laughs> Brute force. Bears just smack the tea machine. Oops. Two cups of tea. Three cups of tea. Cup of tea under the arm. Where can that possibly go wrong? On One the brim, on the brim of, the of his hat. In his pocket. How many recipes for disaster are we going to see? He's blown up the coffee machine. I had six white pullovers when you left this morning. Uh, you wouldn't like one large cocoa-coloured one, would you, Mr. Cunning? Ask Paddington, hopefully. The thing I remember about Paddington is he's just awfully nice to everybody. Even yeah. that old codger is always horrible to him. <laughs> See, Michael Horden, all the things that he's been in, the one thing for me that stands out, he played Gandalf in the Radio 4 version of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, not being a huge Lord of the Rings fan. That, that was not, I, really, I remember Paddington from when I was a kid and really enjoying it. It was just nice and sweet and he's a little teddy bear that just gets into trouble. And It's, it's lovely stuff. Uh, Paddington I've got a real soft spot for. A lot of things, a lot of kiddies programs, you look back fondly with nostalgia and the DVDs come out where you see them and you think, yeah, I used to love that. And you buy it and you watch one and you think, yeah, I've seen enough. Paddington I could probably sit and watch a few of. Yeah, I know Lisa from Round the Archives is a, a big Paddington fan and has Paddington's at home and things. This is the only version of Paddington with a black hat, though. In all the other versions, he seems to have a red hat. Not sure why, but to me, Paddington with a red hat always looks slightly odd as a result of this. I vaguely remember him having wellies as well. Yeah, he does in some episodes. I'm sure he does. Right, so next up is Camberwick Green. From the mid-60s. Mid-60s, and there were three linked series. Trumpton, Camberwick Green and Chigley. Chigley. And there was some crossover between the two. And they're, they're stop animation cutesy people, really. They, they kind of look like the model people that you see on model railways. Yes. Narrated by Brian Kant, who was one of the staples of my childhood. And, of course, who alumnus twice over? Mission to the Unknown Mission and the Dominators. Oh, Dominators I'd forgotten about. 
He plays one of the the leaders of Dulcis. Windy Miller. Windy Miller, who's kind of a yokel local in the in a smock. It's Windy Miller. Now, Windy Miller is one of those characters who is a bit of a dodgy bastard. Because look at the state of those whirling blades. He never once got sliced in half. Bit of a design fault, to my mind, putting the door underneath the blades. Yeah. One of them's got whacking great holes in it. No, it's actually at a slight angle, isn't it? It is. But even so, it's dangerously close to that door. That's really not good manual handling, is it? Not really. His posture's not bad. That's a very well-dressed farmer. Well, that's clearly what you should do when choosing equipment, the noise that it makes. Mm. Well done, Jonathan. Not drinking while he's driving. But Wendy's had a hard morning, so he's going to have a flagon of cider. Wendy's going to get himself absolutely whammed, and hijinks will no doubt ensue. Climb aboard one of the windmill sails and sing at the top of his voice bawdy songs. He's not done much in the way of grinding corn, he's just... Uh, he's moved a few sacks around. And now he's going to have... So he's on Scrumpy and he's just passed out, drunk in charge of a windmill. Which appears to be speeding up. Or not. Or not. Meanwhile, in Camberwick Green, nobody is asleep. Mary and Paddy Murphy are playing hide and seek. Not terribly well. Yes, being a master baker is an unfortunate way to describe him. It is. From the 18th century, apparently. <laughs> Baby. The longest baby in the world. She asks Mr. Murphy to hold the baby while she finds her shopping list. And Mr. Murphy has to hold the baby while Mrs. Honeyman, who never stops talking, gossips and gossips. Well, that's a treat for him. I've run out of flour. Here's a pretty kettle of fish. Or fairly incompetent when you're yeah, a baker. Um, So they'll presumably turn up to find Windy Miller pissed out of his skull. Blades not turning, no corn ground. Smashed off his box. Windy, you're asleep. Wake up, please. Feck off. <laughs> Drunk in charge of a windmill. What could possibly go wrong? I'm afraid the wind has dropped all Mr. Murphy. He'll never get his baking done now. But Wendy doesn't Well, perhaps if he hadn't spent half the day driving across the county because he'd run out. Surprisingly, whistling for the wind has done nothing. absolutely nothing. Four idiots in the middle of a field when there's a Sainsbury's down the road. <laughs> At some point, every stray dog in the county is going to turn <laughs> up. Here we are at Pippin Fort, Captain Snort Military Academy. Captain Snort? So Captain Snort, who, as you said, is from the 18th century, in a castle from the 9th, 
snort and grout. They're all white-haired old men. No, it's not Dad's army in space again. It's the powdered wigs. Very long strides. Sergeant Major reports to Captain Snort that the boys are ready to drive off to Camberwick Common to play their tracking game. Is that some sort of euphemism? I've not a clue. And With a, a big Python-esque petrol sign written on the tank. Do you know, I, I, I look back at this with very fond memories. I'm not sure I'll be looking again. Oh, <laughs> it's a chimney sweeper's thing, it's a tramp. <laughs> all three series are set in Trumptonshire. There's three houses in Trumpton and they all burn down every week. I don't know. And the fire this. engine's about 40 miles away. Pew Pew Barney, yeah. Blue Cuthbert, Dibble and Grub. I mean, I haven't actually seen this since I was a kid. They're all interchangeable though, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not wildly impressed by this, to be honest. If one whistle won't work, if three whistles won't work, four whistles won't work, then so many people whistling is sure to work. Um, not sure it is. But if you get, I suppose if you get enough of them blowing at the blade and you've got... That, that would be more use, I would think. Several fields full. What the... Uh, his his neighbours must love him. Drunk out of his box all day and then persuading random people to start whistling. You see, they've all got more sense than to brave those blades. Children, stay exactly where you are. Don't talk to the strange drunk man. Do not do any more whistling. Look at it, he didn't look left or right. He just walked straight out and missed the blades. Did Mr Murphy get the flower he wanted? That must have made him very happy. And you are happy too, because you're... Because you're drunk. Goodbye, Wendy. Well, that was... Odd. It was odd. I mean, I, I I thought that was rather sweet, actually. I I have very very fond memories of it, and it's a memory cheating thing, I think, because that wouldn't encourage me to watch any more. The fact that in a children's program, within the opening few minutes, the main character in this episode is drunk is out drunk of his skull, and then just a random clown. But how many title sequences does one program need? 1966. I believe better quality prints have been found since this was put out. Michael Benteen's Potty Time. I have vaguely, in the midst of time, heard of this before. I think I've sort of self-edited it out. What in the name of hell is it? I remember this very, very fondly from my childhood. And they're tiny little puppets, kind of without faces. Probably because the faces were a bit difficult to draw. So they've, they've all got enormous hair or hats or whatever. And actually, we've just got their title screen up. The potty that is jumping across the screen looks like Demis Roussos with a clipboard. <laughs> and a big Baker Boy hat. It doesn't get any less odd, actually. And it's recreation of scenes from history as told by Michael Benteen and the potties. So shall we select an episode? With pleasure. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes or um, Marco Polo? Ah. Let's do Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, I think, yes. On the pirate buses. Ah. <laughs> oh. Oh, the Thames the sound of my childhood. That's very jolly music. It is. 
Navy Walk. Hello, and a very warm welcome back to... And Demis Roussos. Oh, Clarence, not Demis. A magnifying glass. Secondly, a peculiarly shaped pipe known as a calabash. And thirdly, and most important, a deerstalker hat. Now, what do these three objects instantly call to mind? And the answer is the famous private detective, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. All good so far. Was the arch fiend himself, Professor Moriarty. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were continually fighting. So why don't you come with me now? They were in touch with Moriarty only turns up in one story. And meet Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson in Baker Street. Good morning, yes. Uh, yeah, you see, no face, big hat. And a Doctor Who type scarf on the potty. I didn't realise that the little figures were called potties. I thought it was literally... Like a po. Yeah. Right. Puppetry isn't wonderful, is it? it? There's just a lot of shaking and the occasional arm wave. But it does it's the kind job. Of, it's kind of like watching the House of Commons. Harsh. And he's twice the size of anybody. He's twice his height. Is it Benting doing all the voices? I think so. She's twice the height of the suit of armour she's standing next to. <laughs> He was the fourth goon, wasn't he, Michael Benton? Yes, he was. And came to this. Am I in your hallucination, or are you in mine? This is very odd. It's quite entertaining. I'm Sherlock Holmes, and so is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the dash hound of the Baskervilles. That dax has got glasses on. And they've just turned Moriarty into the police without us having committed a crime. Well, if you've enjoyed some more adventures of the potties, why don't you come and join us next time? Until then, bye. Thoughts. Mental. There wasn't a year of production with that. Um, Mid seventies, yeah. I thought. It was all a bit ad libbed. Seemed to be really. It was. That's not inspired me to watch anymore. No. There is <sighs> on one of these discs. There's a, an episode of the Bumbleys from the nineteen fifties, which is kind of a black and white version of this without the production values. Without the production values. Yeah. No, I mean Benting in that he's. Uh, He's clearly having a whale of a time as the presumably the voice of the potties because he's not credited as such. But, I mean, the way it ended, it was very much a, you know... A, You've had your five minutes, right? We're off. We're off. Let's watch some more. We'll be back next week. Bye. Just in such an abrupt way. Yeah, and the, the potties themselves are quite odd things because they're little lumps, spinning little arms, all in very baggy clothing with either massive amounts of hair or massive amounts of hair and a hat or the biggest hat in the world, so you can't ever see their faces. Yeah, a very, very odd one, that. But I expect nothing less from you. You're welcome. Next up is Bagpuss. It's episode 8 of 13, and it's The Mouse Mill. Yeah, you know you're never going to be disappointed with one of the small films ones, don't you? Because they're all 
lovely and twee and charming. And... It's the fact that Oliver Postgate got his daughter involved in the actual title sequence. Not so long ago. That looks like quite a long time mm. ago. There was a little girl, and her name was Emily. And she had a shop. It was rather an unusual shop, because it didn't sell anything. Perhaps because it was owned by an eight-year-old who didn't really understand economics. Who doesn't move off his cushion after episode one. Now, every episode begins the same way. Her coming back with just some random item of crap. Built like the Clangers or the Wombles. Random item of crap. <laughs> Let's see what she's found and see if I'm wrong. Apparently woke up and vomited. Mm. Um, so he's a woodpecker that can't fly. So we are nearly three minutes into the episode and this is the same way it opens every time. Right. That's value for money. So, random item of crap. It's a biscuit maker. That's what? <laughs> a box with a front door. That is a house. No, no, that's a box. Who would live in a box like that? Lloyd Grossman. <laughs> So he's now being mob- mobbed by the mice on speed. <laughs> yes. Because all houses have cranes on them. <coughs> I wonder what sort of mouse would live in that sort of house. It is Lloyd Grossman. <laughs> is this where they got the idea for Through the Keyhole from? Stranger things have happened. Of course you know a song about it. This just seems like an excuse to force folk singing down the down the throats of children. <laughs> I've got quite a soft spot for folk singing. I know, I know. I think probably because it does cast me back to my childhood. Lots of programmes like this and holidays in the Lake District with farmers. I was made to listen to a ton of rubbish music when I was a child. I mean, I want to listen to it again. This is like the Archer's cartoon, this. Rather romanticised version of farming where nobody gets covered in shit. The only thing I know about the Archer's is a theme tune. Barrett Greek. I, I am an Archer's addict. Oh. And the reason I know the theme tune is it's because it's the perfect rate to do CPR to. Oh, you've mentioned this before. You either do the Archer's theme tune or Nelly the Elephant. So not staying alive then? No. So they're just singing about how... The seasons The change. weather in England is always awful. <laughs> Oh, look, another baker with his flour. This time he's actually got some because the farm is not wasted. I can't say as I remember this folk bit. I remember those stupid mice. I rather like the mice on the mouse. Mm. You get very annoyed by them very quickly. <laughs> he's moved off his cushion. He has moved, I, to be fair, yes. Making a daring bid for freedom. 
He modelled on William Hartnell. Did William Hartnell ever say fiddlesticks and flap doodle? Flap doodle just sounds vaguely filthy. Only to you. But if I was any of the characters in this story, I'd be waiting until that old bastard was asleep and setting fire to his rocking chair. You're going to make biscuits out of butter beans and breadcrumbs. That sounds disgusting. Yes, that's flour. That's breadcrumbs. <laughs> Whatever the hell you're going to do with those, go away and do it. Oh, for some really good mouse traps. <laughs> A chocolate biscuit with butter beans and breadcrumbs. Or something that looks like a chocolate biscuit and it's going to make it be massively disappointing when you put it into it. And out come chocolate biscuits. That taste of butter beans. It isn't true. It's an illusion, a rotten trick. Do you realise those mice have been playing a trick on us? Oh, he's knackered. Do you he's got off his... Magus. I thought it was a trick. I mean, you can't really make chocolate biscuits out of... Look out, everybody. Magus is going to sleep again. Bagpuss gave a big yawn and settled down to sleep. Again, it's nice, heartwarming stuff. You yeah, can't it's very, really... very sweet. And I, I do have a real soft spot for the mice on the mouse organ, even though they sound like they're on speed. Now, we have reached that point where you're going to pull your surprise out of the bag. Um, I dread to think. It's a thing called Ludwig. And as well as all the lovely small films and Magic Roundabout and all the other things that we used to get in the 70s, occasionally there would be something quite bonkers in Eastern European. And nothing was more bonkers than Ludwig. It's almost impossible to describe. You just have to bite the bullet and watch it. Okay. Ron VT. Okay, well... How did you enjoy Ludwig? It's a miracle that our generation really have grown up with any sense of reality whatsoever. A lot of the children's stuff we've watched, particularly from the 60s and 70s... Has been quite bonkers. Yeah. Culminating with Ludwig. Which is a crystal egg in a garden full of animals with various protrusions and attachments and mechanical bits that keep popping out of it. And some weird bloke in a deer stalker with binoculars watching from a bush, commenting throughout the whole thing. With basically just random animation set to the works of Beethoven. Hence Ludwig. It's odd. It's now nearly two o'clock in the morning. I still don't think I've had enough gin to watch that. (laughs) There's something very nostalgic about Ludwig. That's one way of putting it. I mean, I just look at these things now, and it's not just confined to oddities like that, but I look at them and wonder how they were ever made in the first place, because you've got to ask yourself, what was the pitch to the programme makers in the first place? A lot of these are clearly made by the people that have written them. But once having made them, you've then got to hawk them round to television companies and sell them and say, kids want to watch this, you know. Or it's educational. So it's introducing people to the delights of Beethoven. Or a crystal egg with wheels and an umbrella. Oils itself in the morning. And then the hedgehogs come out to play with it. 
And so they give the hedgehogs an umbrella, but the umbrella takes them up into the sky. So the other animals try to rescue the hedgehogs by hanging on to them and weighing them down. But that doesn't work, so the umbrella still keeps taking them up. So Ludwig magically... Helicopters his way up there. himself a pair of helicopter rotors. And starts distributing umbrellas for the animals to float down. Including, I noticed, a bird. What the hell's going on? Oh, children's programming is not what it used to be. (laughs) Thank goodness. But did you enjoy it? Oh, we've had a lovely time this session. Yes. We always dig up some random oddities. A lot of what we watch is nostalgia. Yes. Um, uh, and all of these kids' programme things are pure nostalgia. None of them, I don't think, stand up to serial viewing. I could probably watch quite a bit of Thomas the Tank Engine and quite a bit of Paddington. The Clangers I can watch several of. That would be quite fun if we watched some of those and just tried to put filthy dialogue to the whistles. <laughs> I think we could probably have a lot of fun with that. But everything else we've watched tonight, I'm quite happy just to have the five, ten minute snippets. The final section of our episode this week sees invaders from another podcast. Lisa Parker and Andrew Trowbridge run a series of their own called Round the Archives, and it was largely the inspiration for our podcast. So they've recorded a special segment on children's TV. Here it is. Thanks a lot, guys. Hello everyone, I'm Andrew. I'm Lisa. And we're from the Round the Archives podcast. We are. Simon and Ken have been on ours. Yes, so we thought we'd be on theirs. Now, first question is, Lisa, what are you boozing? Oh, well, I thought I'd keep in the feel of the uh, Exton Moss podcast, so I've got Whiteley and Neil Quince gin. All right, have you tried it before? No, oh, cool. I've just opened it specially, it's only a little bottle. Are you going to try it during yes, I, the article? Or? I might. Okay. Well, I, I've got to give it some Bernard's, haven't I? All right. Give it some Bernard's, so let's try it. I can only really mostly taste the tonic, to be honest. What's your tonic? It's just normal tonic. Okay. <laughs> normal tonic, well, is that a brand ordinary name? tonic, it's um, right. fever tree. Right. I would give that three Bernard's out of okay. five, I think. Why? I don't know much about gin. <laughs> That's as good as you're going to get That's from us. as good as it's it? going to get. But today we're going to briefly talk about Pipkins. We are. Now, Pipkins was a kid's programme involving was. puppets. It was. And it was commissioned at the same time as Rainbow, mm-hmm. Hector's, not Hector's House. Hickory House. Hickory House. And Mr Trimble, which I've looked up and looked quite frankly terrifying. <laughs> But yeah, it ran uh, 1973 to 1981. Yeah. So by far, apart from Rainbow, the longest run. Rainbow's got a slightly longer run, hasn't it? Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, Rainbow continues well after this. Yes. But the episode we're looking at is Treasure Hunt mm-hmm. from the 28th of October 1980. So it's yep. towards the tail end of the run. Yes. Because it's towards the tail end of the run, it's one of the ones that survives. Because yes. Pipkins is notorious for having lots and lots of missing episodes. It is. And any that survive in any quality is usually down to Nigel Plaskett. Yes. I've got a tape list here. Mm-hmm. And according to my data, this is a production number 5514-80 stroke by the ATV videotape listing. Right. What survives is a Beatmax recording mm-hmm. done by Nigel Plastic. Plastic? Plastic. Nigel Plastic. 
Plastic kids. I always call him Nigel Plastic. Yeah, don't call him Nigel Plastic. Because he's operating puppets. Okay. All right, Nigel Plaskett, then. Right. Uh, and it's an off-air recording, apparently done in the Thames area. So although it's an ATV production, the tape that survives is from a Thames transmission. Well, presumably that's where he lived. Yeah, okay. In the Thames area. I suppose so. so. You'd have to go up to Birmingham to do it, then. Oh, yeah. But this was broadcast at ten minutes past twelve, mm-hmm. just after paper play. Right. With Susan Stranks and Itsy and Bitsy. Okay. Also of note that afternoon, General Hospital was on. Mm-hmm. And get it together with Roy North and Ollie Beak. Mm-hmm. And Roy North had the vapours in that week. Did he? Okay. Yeah. That's okay. nice. But this episode's all about pirates, isn't it? It is. So we start off with the title sequence. Yes. And, and for this variant, it's Hartley throwing a ball. Hartley is pissing about with a ball. Yes. And he gets a ball in the neck in the he end. He does. He's, he's even in the face or the neck. It's in the neck it, this time. Yeah. I think there's some wish fulfilment on the part of whoever threw that. Possibly, yes. The puppets this week are Hartley Hare, Top Off the Monkey, yep. in his sort of one of his later incarnations. Yes. And he's not looking like the walking dead of monkeyness. Yeah, you don't like the early version. I don't like don't the you? early version. It's got cold dead eyes. Because Top Off and also Pig, who doesn't feature this week, no. go through various forms, forms don't yes. they? Yes, Hartley. We should explain who the characters are, really. You've yeah. got Hartley Hare, yeah. Top Off, who's a monkey, and he's so named because he sits on top of things. Mm-hmm. Pig, who doesn't have a name. Yeah. As you say, there are various pigs with various versions of a sort of Birmingham accent, isn't there? Tortoise. Yeah. Then you've got other characters like Octavia the Ostrich, Mrs. P the Penguin, who's the housekeeper, yeah. Uncle Hare, who's also Nigel Plaskett, and Angus McHare, which we've never seen, which is Nigel Plaskett doing a Scottish accent. <laughs> but their friend is Peter, is isn't Peter it? Peter Potter. Played yes. by... Paddy O'Hagan, who seems to have not done anything since. They have various friends. They do have various friends. Obviously, it starts off with Mr Pipkin. Yeah. Because the series is originally called Inigo Pipkin. Yeah. But unfortunately, the actor that played him, George Woodbridge, dies. Because he's the character that actually made all the puppets. All all the puppets, yeah. Yeah. He dies during the filming of the second series. And this actually predates the Sesame Street episode where a character dies. And they involve it in the plot. So it's quite a good thing, really, to involve the children... Well, not involve the children, but to explain it away, not to just get rid of the character. So then you get Johnny, Tom, and then Peter. Okay. Who are all there, sort of, they look after them (laughs) and bring them money for food. That's debatable. Wow. But, yeah, there's a lot of episodes available on DVD now from Network, I believe. Network, yes. So they're worth a look. But this week, it starts off with Topoff and Hartley are playing with some rubbish boats they've made. Yeah, well, they're not rubbish. They're those, you know, the um, bagel tart cases. The silver foil thing. With a little sail on it. And they've stuck a sail on. Yeah. Uh, but they're told they've got to go to bed. Yes. But Peter reads them a story about pirates. He does. And they keep interrupting. And they're, they're a bit simple this week because they don't <laughs> they don't know what pirates are. No, they don't know what clues are. Yeah, they've never heard of clues. But this is a story about Captain Poop Deck. Yes. It's yeah. just an excuse to say the word poop a lot. It on, is, really. Uh, yeah. At lunchtime yeah. telly. Yeah. And you, you said um, there's a link here with Bernard Cribbins. Yes, because he, he, doesn't he play Albert Poopdecker or Poopdeck in um, Carry On Jack? Yeah, th- this pirate captain sort of left himself some clues about he where has. he buried his really treasure. treasure yes. and he you find, think he'd remember where he buried he his treasure. He finds it and the story ends. And yes. they're not satisfied with the ending, are no, they? Because they no, keep they asking questions. they want to know what, what happened next. And I think Peter's just making up any old rubbish. He is. I don't know if the actor's doing it or if he's just acting the part of somebody making it up. Yeah. He really looks like he's just he making be, it up on the he spot. He can't be bothered to answer their question. No. But Tortoise observes Peter, who starts demonstrating his crutch, doesn't he? He does. He gets a broom <laughs> and puts it under his shoulder like Long John Silver. And goes, ha, ha, ha. 
Now, very briefly, we live in Poole, don't we? We do. And we have pirates knocking we about do. the place. Yes, yes. The local speedway team is called the Poole Pirates. Yeah. The area's famous for, well, we have Harry Payday. Yeah. And he was a famous pirate who lived in the Middle Ages. Well, yeah, Harry Pay was a pirate. He was born 1364-ish. So he was a very early pirate, <laughs> yes. as pirates go. Because when you think of pirates... You, you think sort of think of... 16th, 17th century, century more. yeah. But yeah, yeah he's, he's like a sort of early pirate, he laying is. down the foundations of he what is. being a pirate is. Yes. And you get pirates in your shop sometimes, Yes, well, don't one you? pirate. There's one chap that comes in and he's sort of vaguely dressed like Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. And the first time you see him, you sort of think you're seeing things. Then after a while, you're just like, oh, it's just the pirate again. <laughs> and we did. We went and saw some pirates doing their recycling one evening in Paul. Putting their bottles in yeah, the Yeah, they, they stopped their van or their car or whatever it was and put all A load of pirates come out yeah. and they start recycling bottles yeah, behave pirates but once peter's finished playing with his crutch he sort of makes a pirate scarf and an eye patch and some hats yeah, two pirate scarves yes it's funny how he's got amazing i mean what, where did he get the hats from lord knows the scarf yeah. i can understand and the eye patch is just some black paper he's got the but... skull and crossbones on yeah. the hats and that just made me think of chemistry bottles um solvents okay. and things like that because yeah. if toxic chemicals have a skull and crossbones on them and simon would of course know that from yes. his chemistry days it doesn't mean that the bottles may contain pirates no it means know. they may contain poison but yeah, he's made all these clues up. Like there's a picture of their door with a roller blind, mm-hmm. and then they lift the roller blind. And there's another there's clue. There's a picture of top well, of Now, to be fair, and... Peter lifts the roller blind yeah. because they give up well, they do, fairly they... quickly. <laughs> well, Hartley's spindly arms are incapable yeah. of operating the roller blind. And, like, <laughs> and they're not tall enough anyway. No. Well, not yet anyway. Then they, they eventually, they end up with a picture of a slide, and they start singing a song about treasure, which wastes mm-hmm. a bit of time. Yeah. And then we go on film. We do. As this has all been an excuse to go down the kiddies' playground in the park, park, isn't it? So this And suddenly Topoff and Hartley are as tall as Peter. They're about five foot ten, aren't they? Yeah. They've got really long legs. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit weird looking at this sequence. It is a little now, bit, yes. As this bloke mm. with his puppets goes down to the uh, the play park. And Hartley mm. starts interviewing children. He doesn't does. He? Saying, uh, have you seen a roundabout? I don't know whether the kids are just rubbish actors, but mm-hmm. he's he's trying to span the scene out. Yeah. And he's saying about the roundabout, is it round? Is it a children's roundabout? Yes, goes the kids. Yeah. Does it go round? Yes, go the kids. <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for? Because he's, he's a bit camp, we should say. Oh, yeah, he's very camp. I do yeah. love Hartley. So eventually we find another clue mm-hmm. after sort of piddling about on the slide and the mm-hmm. roundabout. Well, I, you, you say that, but it's Peter chucking bits of paper at them, basically. It's like, <laughs> why can't they see him? I like the way that the kids just get bored and yeah, nobody just... is like gunnying in the background no, to be in shot. They're just the camera. riding just their like bike it. up and down. Um, eventually they have to go back to Pipkins and I just mm. wrote that was a waste of your legs wasn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that the way Hartley just calls taxi yeah <laughs> and then in the desk there's mm. a small treasure chest containing chocolate gold money there is which they can have after breakfast yes and, and that's the end of the that's episode the end of the episode yeah so it's not a sort of action really action-packed episode and as you said there's no pig but we particularly chose one without pig because they go through different people doing the voices. You don't like the current pick. And I pig, don't do like you? the current pick at this point because it's up until now it's been um 
an actress doing the voice suddenly they've got an actor in and he's got a really deep voice pig yeah and it's a bit disturbing is this the pig pig whose head is coming off possibly there is one pig yeah it's um because they have trouble with the foam on the puppets perishing yeah so a lot of the time pig has a scar because he had a big hole in his neck but this pig's neck isn't actually attached to its body you can sort of see the foam underneath it and that, that, I mean, you like for God's sake, put a scarf round his neck. Just all of it. Looks like he's had his head chopped off. But yeah, I mean, the the cheapness of Pipkins. You know, we are no, in no way talking the Muppet Show here. Are oh we? no, no, no. Even though that had moved in next door to it. Yeah, the, the Muppets are actually yeah. filming. Yeah. You know, sort of in the next studio. And the reason that they've now got a different set is so that they could raise it up, so the puppeteers could. They've actually gone and looked at the Muppets and went. Oh, that's a good idea, raising the setup. Otherwise, they have to crouch on their knees uh, yeah. all the time, isn't so, it? So, you know, saves on achy knees and trousers. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I quite like Pipkins. For doing this piece, we did sort of have to watch about four or five, yeah. and we chose the most yes. interesting one. It I took think. us a while before we found one that. They, they can be a bit hit or miss. Yes. But the good thing about the DVDs is that you'll always get something interesting on yeah. there. And, you know, I like the Royal Astronomer episode. Yeah, that one's quite And the one where good. Hartley's got a sort of hand puppet as well, mm-hmm. where he's being very naughty. He is being very naughty. Hartley is the sort of star of the show. He wants to be centre of attention all the time. Yeah. And he sort of sulks if he doesn't get his way. Yeah. I would describe him as the um, Sheldon Cooper of the puppet world. <laughs> OK. But there you are. There's Pipkins. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed that. It is available on DVD. We're around the archives, yes, and we can be found in all the usual podcasty places. We can. We've got a whole range of stuff. We have. But we'll hand you back to Simon and Ken now. Yes. And, and thank you, boys. And we'll see you again. Okay. Maybe. Goodbye. 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 And on that warmly nostalgic note, we shall sign off. Thanks for listening. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.